for those of, uh, those of us are new at Forest, let me just uh, briefly share the, uh, what we do uh, with the Sunday sermons. We have a full regular Sunday sermon series in a year. Uh, in the beginning of the year and spring, we always look at the Gospels. And then summer, we study the Old Testament. And then fall, we return to New Testament and we study one of the New Testament letters. And then winter, we reflect on the Advent series, the coming of Christ. So for fall 2019, uh, we are studying Paul's a great letter to Ephesians. And uh, many scholars called it, this is a heart of Paul's theology. If a Romans is a brain of Paul's theology, Ephesians is a heart of Paul's theology. And I entitled our Ephesians series, METH, M-E-T-H, Make Evangelicals Think. Think hard, think hard. And uh, just to quizzing you guys, where did I get that acronym, METH? Where did I get that acronym? Math. Yes. Hi, uh, don't answer, you always answer. So the, the, I got that uh, inspiration from MATH, M-A-T-H. You know, Andrew Yang, the Yang Gang, their slogan, make America think a heart. So I got the inspiration from Andrew Yang. And those of you who don't know about Andrew Yang, check it out. It's a DNC speech for nine minutes. It's worth it. Whether you agree uh, he's your candidate or not secondary, I think he exposed a very important uh, socio-economical issue of our time. And uh, so, math, M-E-T-H. And I hope our last study, two studies in Ephesians chapter 1, indeed made you think hard. Because Ephesians chapter 1, just briefly recapping, Paul started this great letter with exuberance. And how do we know? You know, chapter 1 have, contains the two longest sentences in the New Testament. So part 1 and part 2. The first longest sentence is about the praise. Paul prays about God. And what did Paul praise about God? Predestination. Yes, that's what we talked about the first sermon. Predestination. And predestination is not a scary word or a dirty theological term invented by whatever Armenians or Calvinists. Predestination is a beautiful biblical truth that speak about the God's will for human beings before the creation of the world and the focus on the Christ and the eventually giving us Holy Spirit and the build the community of God like a Trinitarian fellowship. So that's the you know, praise of God. And the second part is a Paul's prayer, which is also one sentence, second longest sentence with 168 words. And that was a Paul's prayer. And the last Sunday, Han gave us uh, this uh, delicious buffet on prayers. There was so much to chew on that message. And uh, one thing that I really, really appreciate, I hope all of you get is a Paul's prayer was not driven by human problems and need and scarcity, but it was directed by hope and promise and God's abundant love for us. And actually, you know, I was tempted to say, hey, open up your prayer. Let me see what you pray. Because I was, you know, Paul's main prayer, there was that, uh, what was it? I pray uh, that I, I keep asking 
that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom of revelation so that you may know him better. Ultimate prayer is a knowing God better. So this week, I really took that in, and every prayer I said, whoever in our church and family said, God, help her, helping him know you better. Because knowing God transforms us. The reason revelation is important is that when you really encounter God, you cannot be the same. Look at all the biblical you know, stories. When they encounter God or receive God's revelation, they are no longer the same. So, that's the you know, two things that we covered in chapter 1. Now, before I go to chapter 2, let me connect the link, which is the last prayers of Paul in chapter 1, verse 22, was this. That God placed all things under his feet and appointed Christ to be head of everything for the church, which is his body, fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Christ fulfilled everybody in every way. And chapter 2 tells us how he does that. All right? And so... Today's story, today's uh, message, our third message on the first part of chapter 2 of Ephesians, the best way to understand this passage is uh, before and after. If you have an interview with a great journalist who just, late Cokie Roberts, somebody like a late Cokie Roberts, and uh, that journalist asks you a question, if your life can be divided by an event, what event or which experience of life would mark a drastic change in your life before and after? What would be greatest before and after event in your life? And uh, I asked actually that question to my, uh, uh, my middle daughter, Laura. Laura, how would you answer that question? And I was so grateful to hear that Laura said, first semester of a college. That was a major you know, you know, uh, before and after. Because at the end of the first semester, that's actually when she was baptized. And then she said that this is when God is my God. Isn't that great? You know, year that God doesn't become, uh, you know, our family God or, you know, whatever, my church's God, but it's a God is my God. Hey, I really hope this text does the same thing to you. And uh, you know, as you know, history is uh, divided by this commonly BCE and CE. Uh, acronym stands for Before Common Era and then Common Era. But uh, originally it was not a BCE and CE. It used to be a BC and AD. Before Christ, AD, Anio Domini, the year of the Lord. And then secular people just uh, you know, couldn't they thought that was a Christian, you know, uh, pri you know, a privilege, so they took it away. But uh, John Oldberg wrote a very uh, interesting, I mean, very, very simple, very interesting book, Who is This Man? And in the book, John Oldberg, Pastor John Oldberg, he said this, Jesus is the most inescapable, inescapable person, and his life is the most defining legacy in human history, which was marked by his birth. It is in Jesus' name that desperate people pray, great people, great people worship, and angry people swear. 
from christening to weddings and to sick rooms and to funeral, it is in Jesus' name that people are hatched, matched, patched, and dispatched. I, just, I thought it was cute. I pray that today's message will hatch you and match your, you know, uh, uh, hope, and then, you know, patches your wound and dispatches all your worries. All right. Now let's turn to look uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse one to ten. Let's read it responsibly. I like to ask the brothers and sisters read it responsibly. So, brothers, we read first. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. contrasting life before and after people coming to Christ. So Paul said in verse 1 to 3, life without Christ, life before Christ, he said, is a, simply means death, death. You were dead in your transgression and sins. That's what Paul said before Christ. And this idea of uh, um, I mean, by the way, here death doesn't mean the uh, physical death, obviously, it is spiritual death. And uh, the connection between the death and sin is a very well known in the Bible and Paul's you know, theology, right? Paul said, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, right? Sin and death. And ultimately, what does it mean that as a sinner we are dead? You know, that means that sin separates us from God. So we are in the state of a spiritual alienation from God. And here is an important thing. Life is nothing but a communion with God. God itself is a life. So apart from communion with God, there is no real life. You can be breathing. You can be doing what, what, whatever you want to do. You can be choosing whatever you want to, and yet, we are creating, we are human beings created in the image of God. And if we are not in communion with God, who created you for eternal fellowship with himself? You are not experiencing real life. 
That's what Paul is saying. You know, Jesus said, I came to give a life. Not because we don't have a life, but we don't have a real life. That's why Jesus came. So, apart from God, grace of God, spiritual alienation will really lead us to not real life, but a very different, difficult pseudo-life. That was what Paul is talking here. And here, Paul talks about nature of a spiritual death or nature of a life without Christ with a threefold description. I call it uh, unholy trinity or excess of true excess of evil. If you look at the first two, Paul said this: "You follow the ways of this world and the rulers of a kingdom of air, and then." Verse 3, you are gratifying the cravings of, uh, cravings of a sinful nature or flesh. So what are the three fault or unholy trinity of a sin and death? Ways of the world and the ruler of a kingdom of the air and the cra craving of our flesh. These three combinations take us from the focus on God. Way of the world. And, the, by the way, the ruler of a kingdom of the air, we're talking about a devil. Yes, devil. This is the first time devil is mentioned in this, uh, in this story, uh, in this letter. And the, this, uh, this uh, expression, the prince of a power of air, air, is the title for devil in the, uh, in the what is that, the cosmology of a Hellenistic world. In Hellenistic world, devil, or the, uh, demons, they occupied the lower heavens. And guess where the lower heavens was uh, you know, located? Between earth and moon. That's the lower heaven. And uh, we have a word, lunacy. Crazy people, or craziness. Where does it come from? Lunacy came from Luna, right? Which is moon. That's the domain of a devil or demons that bewitch people and make people do crazy stuff. And uh, so Bible is, uh, you know, we very uh, scientific modern people laugh at uh, this name devil, but Bible is serious. You know, if you look at the Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Whether you believe or not, Satan and devil, whatever that is, is, a, is a, at, uh, at work in everybody in this world. And have you met somebody who is a smart, yet doesn't understand thing about God or in the Bible? You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, the person without spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolishness. Intelligent people don't understand the inch of the scripture. Why? This is a spiritual matter. Not only that, under the domain of this, uh, that's a very, this a clever, deceiving spirit, we don't see reality clearly. For instance, Josephson Institute, uh, Los Angeles-based uh, Ethic Institute, 
conducted a character survey of nearly 30,000 students at 100 randomly selected high school nationwide just a few years ago, and they found this. 64% of high school students said they had cheated on a test in the past year. 30% has stolen from a store. 42% said they would lie to save money. 83% said they had lied to their parents about something significant. Amen, I hear it somehow. <laughs> but despite, more surprising thing is this, despite their transgression, 93% of a student survey said they were satisfied with their personal ethics and character. With a 77% adding, I'm better than most people I know. That is a human being without God. Human beings without God is, has such a self-deceived notion about reality, about himself and others. And this is why C.S. Lewis said, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs an improvement such as a cognitive moral education and gradual social ethical training, but is a sick person, sick it's a dying patient who desperately needs a serious life-saving operation by a great surgeon. I don't know about you, before I met Christ, I was a piece of work. Especially, I thought, I'm really, really great human being. I was a cocky. I'm so glad that you didn't meet me before I met Christ, obviously. You have no bit what? Sorry. I will not meet you. You below me. I will not waste my time with you. That was my attitude. And not that I was a selfish person. You know, amazing thing was I was selfish, but I thought I was the most ideal and great guy because I have a vision of a life. And my vision of a life is to make my family proud and my nation. At the time, my nation was South Korea because that's where I was born. And uh, I make my nation proud, you know, grateful to me. Because according to my life plan, I'll become an economic super genius. Super, you know, I get a PhD from whatever, you know, Harvard University, and I'll become an economic genius, and I'll make a South Korea economic superpower, and then I will bring the unification of the Korean Peninsula. And not only that, then I will invade Japan. And uh, make them pay all the atrocities they committed to. I'm coming from a you know, family that my, my mother's side experienced a horrible, horrible injustice at the hands of the Japanese. And because of that kind of naive, adolescent, nationalistic fervor, I thought I'm better than most Koreans or anybody. I didn't know I was a dad in spirit. What I meant by that is that uh, I have uh, no clue about Christ. And Christ is the last person that I was interested in. And I have to say, Christians, I hated them. For no good reason. Somehow, I could have, uh, you know, I thought Christians were people with a weak mind, didn't take the real responsibility for life. They, 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 they invented this idea of God and Christ and you just, Confess, you know, I mean, you just believe Jesus and you go to heaven. 
as a Buddhist, I said, that's so simplistic. Buddha has to reborn 3,000 times and each time live the perfect life until he was enlightened. Christian, they said, just in the name of Jesus, you go to heaven, you become perfect. I thought, you must be liars, hypocrites. And Paul was saying this, we've been blinded without Christ and we've been, we try to fulfill the craving of our desires, our flesh. We knew only my, my, anything just about me, nothing else. And at the end, Paul said this, verse 3, we were by nature objects of a wrath. Object of a wrath. Wrath is, is in the Bible, it means a God's judgment. And here, interesting thing was that Paul, verse 1, is that you were dead in your transgression and sin. For verse 4, he said, we were by nature object of a wrath. You know what Paul was saying? The first to you in verse 1 is the uh, Gentiles. Gentile, you are dead in sin without God. But Paul said, that doesn't mean the Jews are better than you. We are also sinners. And we are also object of a wrath of God, or God's judgment. That's what Paul is saying. And then now main point Paul goes, that is in Christ we have a new life and new hope. And that's what I want to focus on. Because if you look at this passage in the Greek you know, original text, you will find out that verse 1 to 3, there was a no main verb. Actually, verb, you are dead and all this. This is a participle. So it is not a real, you know, Paul didn't. So first, first, first part, the verse 1 to 3, it is a more like a conditional clause or whatever description pointing out the rest of the passage. So key word in this passage is verse 4. But because of a great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and then Paul described what God has done for us. Once again, he brings a threefold God's work of salvation redemption. One, God made us alive with Christ. And then he added, it is by grace you've been saved. He repeated that phrase twice, right? And then verse 6, God not only made us alive with Christ, God raised us up with Christ. That's the second. And third, God seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Paul brings a threefold God's work of salvation for us. This text does not use a usual Pauline phrase of in Christ. You heard that Paul's major you know, uh, signature of theology is in Christ. We are God elected us in Christ. In Christ we found uh, every blessing. But in this passage, Paul talks instead of in Christ, Paul used the with Christ. With Christ. Why? Everything Christ has done is for me. Christ died. Christ crucified, buried. He was raised. He was ascended to heaven. You know, to be a Christian means to be with Christ. As a Christ identified with me, now identifying myself with Christ. That is a Christian life. And here, we need to understand salvation two parts. The first part of salvation is that Jesus did everything for me. Especially this threefold of 
you know, redemption and, uh, uh, and the elevation and transformation and the great privilege that God gave. That's the first part. But there is second part. That part is this. Verse 7, Paul said, In order that the coming ages he might, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And, verse, and then he said, verse 10, We are God's handyman, a handiwork, handiwork, and uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance for us to do. Paul is saying is this, and then earlier, actually, verse 8, Paul said very clearly, It is by grace you've been saved through faith. This, not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul was clearly talking about it as a Jewish you know, people who believe that they observing God's law, they can obtain the salvation. He just called it human works. Human works. It's not by human achievement, performance, or merit that we receive this great gift of God of salvation. It is a pure God's grace. And then Paul said this, we are not saved by good works. But what? We are saved by grace, and he doesn't stop there. And then what? Four good works. We are saved by grace, four good works. Salvation includes good works. Not as a condition, but as a consequence. That's the point that I want to, you know, uh, I want to share with you. You know, what does it mean that we raise with Christ and, uh, you know, we are sitting on Christ on the high and all this? Why Paul talking about our identification with Christ in this passage? Because oftentimes Christians understand salvation is what Christ has done for me. You know, he saved me by grace so that you and I not only know the love of God for good, but also you and I transform to become a good people. We receive the gospel so that not only we just you know, go to heaven, but ultimately we bring a heaven to our life and share that heaven with other people, Christ with other people. We become a good. That is a full gospel. The full gospel is not only we believe in Christ, but we join Christ in his work in his uh, heavenly realms. Other passages in the Bible, Titus 2.4, Paul said, Paul repeated this, Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Christ saved us, not only from bad, but to make us good. And Paul called it as a handy work of God. And I want to, I hope you, you my Bible is a workmanship, but uh, you know, it simply means masterpiece. Handy, handy work. 
I'm sorry, I said the, uh, what a handyman? You know why I said handyman? I have a prayer and then confession to make. Wow. This week was tough. I had a great beginning and horrible, horrible uh, struggle in the middle of the week because out of blue, I was uh, sleeping in the guest, guest room and in the middle of night, I hear that, uh, the ominous sound of a drip, drip, drip. In my house, we had uh, many water leak problems several times. So that distinct sound is almost a sound of a nightmare. <laughs> I thought it was a dream. It's a dream. No? Can be? I opened up. Lo and behold, there is uh, my, my, my guest room that was a drip. In the middle of the night. I am the least handyman that you know you, you will find. I have no clue. My mom used to call me a eunuch. You know, if you don't know what eunuch is. <laughs> That's fine. Anyway, uh, and then I know how my dear wife Jamie will re react to that uh, you know problem. She's so passionate about the house problem, so I said, okay. So my first reaction was a fear and worry. Oh man. <laughs> so middle of the night, I put the stuff and I didn't tell her for a day. Because once I somehow, this, so sisters know this. Husbands, we feel very responsible for everything happening in the house, even though that's not our fault. <laughs> I didn't make a hole in the ceiling, but you know. And so when she, well, why are we talking about handy? Okay. <laughs> so in my you know, last three days, a handyman is in my prayer, in my mind. I'm sorry. And in the Bible reading, the, you know, instead of a handiwork, a handyman came out. Okay. But here is the point. The reason I'm sharing my uh, shameful testimony is because, oh, by the way, you know good handyman or plumber, please pass information to your poor pastor. But point is, we are God's handiwork, masterpiece. That means God is working on me. God didn't just save me 2,000 years ago and say, ah, you're you all, you know, now that I, you know, you No. We read in Ephesians 1 that God gave a Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a warranty. God not only Christ died for me, but he sent the Holy Spirit to our heart to have a transcendent peace and a profound understanding of his word in the scripture. And then connect us to other brothers and sisters and then build the kingdom of God. We are handy work of God. We are the masterpiece. God is still working with us, working on me. It means you are not alone in your spiritual journey. You are not alone in your life struggle. Whenever, you know, Satan always, the way that Satan discourages us is that uh, you stupid, you are alone, you suffer, you will die. You know, Satan brings all the fear and worry. Your house is going to collapse. You know, your wife's prophecy will come. Satan isolates us, makes us utterly lonely. And uh, Satan is right. If I feel utterly lonely, I don't find any hope because I know how selfish, limited, you know, with a full of uh, defects. But good news is this. I'm a handy 
work and master piece of time. That doesn't give up on me. That doesn't give up on me. And the God, rather, every struggle, God reveals his grace and strengthens my faith and character. So we are not only saved by grace, but saved by grace for good works. Now the question is, what is a good works? The we'll, rest of the uh, uh, chapters will tell us more about it. But meantime, I want to tell you this. Today's story, today, if I, I'm summarizing already. Today's passage, it actually, if you look at the Greek, uh, 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 Greek text, it actually starts with the same word. Verse 4, it said that in which you used to live, right? Actually, the word that you, uh, live is actually peripateo, which Greek word means walk. In, in, you used to walk like this. And the last word here in verse 10, which God prepared in advance for us to do, do, uh, to do that word to do, is the same word, peripateo. So what does it call when you start a, a passage with the same word at the beginning, at the end? Inclusive. Amen. That is a well-known biblical, literary, ancient device called the inclusio, I-N-C-L-U-S-I-O, inclusio. That's the theme. So Paul was saying that before you used to walk on the influence of a devil, deceived and the selfish and the very, very carnal flesh way, but now, now in Christ, you walk gloriously, gloriously. So how is your work these days? How are you working? How, how are you walking? Are you walking with the world? Are you walking with the Lord? To illustrate this, I want to share. Uh, some of you saw the uh, Johnny Cash's uh, uh, biographical movie, I Walk the Line. It's a great movie, seriously. And Johnny Cash, he, is, uh, he, he found Christ, and Christ turned his life around. He is uh, one of the best Christians in the South that I know of. And uh, in the, at, the, at the beginning of his career, by the way, you know who Johnny Cash is? I'm sorry. So I feel the generation, you know. Guy who, now Joaquin a Phoenix, not the Joaquin Phoenix. You know, it's, anyway. Johnny Cash was a great country singer. At the beginning of his career, he has a, a major problem. That was uh, his tempo of his song. So his uh, record company editor said, your song is, I mean, there is a, a there's a good meaning and richness, but it's too slow and too mournful. It's too pessimistic. Keep, can, you, can you kind of raise the tempo a little bit? And Johnny Cash somehow couldn't get it until one day he was in cafe in the movie. Cross the, he was watching a shoeshine boy doing a shoeshine at the corner with the excitement and joy and all kind of uh, tempo. And uh, he wrote a song from that inspiration called the You Got Rhythm. And this is a song. 
Little shoeshine boy never gets slowed down, but he got the dirtiest job in town. Bending low at the people's feet on the windy corner of a dirty street, well, I asked him while he shined my shoes, how he keeps from getting the blues. He grinned at his he raised his little head and popped a shoeshine rag, and then he said, hey, get rid of When you get blues, come on, get rid of When you get blues, a jumpy rhythm makes you feel so fine. It'll shake all the troubles from your worried mind. Get rid of them when you get the blues. What is our rhythm? What is your rhythm? Our rhythm is a rhythm of the grace of God. Rhythm of a saving grace of God. Rhythm of a God's continual sanctification of God. Sanctification grace. God is not done with us. God saved us before, God still saving us through the Holy Spirit and community of God, and God is saving us for His glory. I want to talk a little bit about this, you know, house church. Our church, we pray that we don't become just another church in Dallas, seriously. Very arrogant statement, but it's an honest statement. When we started this church five years ago, we want to be a biblical church, not a cultural church. What's a cultural church is a church that loves to grow and satisfy every member. We said we don't want to be just out, we don't want to be us focused church. We don't want our church to be a hotel for saints. We don't want to create a programs to just meet our needs. Yes, programs we know this is important, but we ultimately make a biblical church just as Christ intended, just to welcome everybody, and the church welcome anybody, everybody especially those who are looking for God, and the church that become a hospital for sinners and the lost. We are the treasure hunters. We go after the, the lost people that Christ died, came to die for. We are the true pirates. We want to be kind of a church. In order to do that, we decide to go with a house church where every member serve one another with a gift, talent, resources, whatever you have. You have a big house, open up. You, you are a little richer than others, buy better food than whatever. You know, whatever. You are good leading us in, please. You know. We all have a different way to contribute. And above all, our church's motto is not only become a good obedience to Jesus, but become a praying, sacrificial, good shepherds to others. You know why we say that? Joining Christ means becoming like a shepherd. The more you know Christ, it's not you getting PhD, you got a theologically lofty. No. You care about other people as Christ cares for us. And I tell you, being a shepherd is not easy. But being a shepherd is the best way to know Christ's heart. And you will grow spiritually so much. This past weekend, uh, you know, house church conference in Houston, that's everybody's testimony. Oh, it's so hard, but it's so rewarding. So rewarding. They all said, we can do this without prayer, but I found the power of a prayer. Praying, you know, single guy, shepherding four married couple and four single. Single guys are shepherding, and then oftentimes the uh, uh, couples who fight, they call him. He has no idea what's going on. And he just listened. 
And then he goes to God and says, Lord, I don't know what to do. I just pray. And then, but God said, don't worry. They came to you because you're a shepherd. As a shepherd, you just cry out to me. I'll take care of them. He just listened to them and prayed for them. And look, that house church grew and now it's about to multiply. I really pray, ultimately, now that we're still beginning stage of our church, my prayer, it might scare you, my, you know, actually, I pray for regular members of our church to become a, not only a good sheep, but a good shepherd. And we have a way to do it. By the way, being a shepherd is not a title. We just already, all the house churches, we are doing shepherding to each other. Yes, somebody said, one thing he loves about his house church, they're shepherding each other. I'm not the only shepherd, they're all shepherding each other. That's the family. That's the Christian community. That's a really how Holy Trinity works, working together. Dear brothers and sisters, what is our rhythm? The rhythm of our church is the rhythm of Jesus Christ. That is the rhythm of grace. Loving others with, a God's, with a God's grace, free grace, and inviting them and to share this incredible love. I understand when Han was saying over and over again last Sunday, do you know how, what a rich blessings and inheritance you receive from Christ? Do you know how lucky you are? I'm not kidding. I am luckier than Bill Gates and all these rich people. You know, I actually have a, a, a compassion for them because of their wealth lasts only this world. Mine will continue. You and I, as a children of God, we have an inheritance as a sons and daughters of King, of King and Lord of the Lord for eternity. You know how lucky we are? I know because I never sought Christ. I never imagined to be a Christian by sure grace of God. God sent the right people in my life and the right time. He convicted my heart and I received Christ. It's not my finding, it is a God's finding of me, dear brothers and sisters. Are you in BC or AD? I hope you're in AD today. If you haven't made it the BC AD question, I hope today become your AD. Let's pray. <laughs>